Hello and welcome to Studio P3. This is Marjolaine Fournier. I'm sitting here with Jean-Jacques Van Vlasler and we're exploring the symphony. And today, Jean-Jacques, one of your mm, favorite subjects, I would say, Absolutely. Shostakovich and his first symphony. It's his first symphony. It's not, it's not his first uh, piece, but almost. And uh, he writes it when he's still in school as a end of term project. I I bet he was getting marked on this and everything. Um, he's 19 years old. He's 19 years old. He was born in 1906. We uh, and we are in 1926. But he's still 19 years old at that time because it is is happening. The premiere is on the 12th of May 1926, and he was born on the 25th of September. So he's still 19 years old. It is your right a a final project, and it is his first major work. He has composed uh, smaller things before that as a student, but here we go. This is it. And it is his signature. And it will be a major work preparing and showing what this man is going to do over the next 50 years. So it's it's interesting because we've we've studied many composers uh, pieces that were major pieces, but it's they come at the end of their life or in the middle of their life. This is it's interesting also because um, we won't have to talk about Stalin. We won't have to. We'll talk a little bit, but as. Shostakovich is very young. The new Russia also is very young at this point. Yes. And so the, the troubles that will come afterwards are sort of announced mm -hmm. at this point. You know this is coming. He knows this is coming. But it's not the, the, the vibe yet. His, I understand that he was very poor suddenly when his father died. And yes, it was yes. already very hard for him. And in fact, every time that I start research on Shostakovich, I, I come back to the same thing in my heart, in my head, and it's poor, poor Shostakovich. Yes, yes as, as Rostropovich said, poor Dimitri, poor Dimitri. But, it, you know, he's a very strong man inside, inside. He's an introvert. He's somebody who, who, who knows exactly what he's going to do. Uh, his, his compositions say three million things at the same time. He will say to people, you know, 
Just listen to my works and you'll understand. We'll come back to that at a certain point a, a bit later. But, you know, you say the beginnings were not very easy. He was born in 1906. Well, in 1905, you have Bloody Sunday in St. Petersburg. You have the Potemkin Mutiny. The country is at a, a stillstand at the end of 1905. And, and, you know, in the next year, you know, the young Dimitri was born, um, uh, the son of an engineer, um, and uh, everything goes rather well. But these are not easy times. Um, he goes at 13, he gets into the conservatory. Uh, he'll have for composition uh, Maximilian Steinberg, who is the son-in-law of Rimsky-Korsakov, by the way, which is not nothing, who is a kind of very traditionalist uh, composer, um, but who is a very good teacher and lets his students become uh, what they should be becoming. <laughs> and this is very important, which is helping them find their own creativity and their own style. So he, he gets into the conservatory, uh, he takes piano lessons. He's a remarkable pianist. Uh, in 1927, he will participate uh, uh, to, at the, uh, uh, the Chopin contest, and he will lose. <laughs> Lev Oborin and all his other body. Uh, there are other friends of his are, uh, who do better um, than, than him, but he's, I think he's number two. Um, at, and, and so it's very, very good pianist. Not only that, he has an extraordinary musical memory, you know, sight reading, for example immediate side reader. And um, so we, all these things musically go very well, but of course the atmosphere around him, you know, they, these are terrible days in uh, 1917, the revolution. In 1922, his father dies, and then the family has, has really not too much to eat anymore. So he has to go and play in cinema halls. And he, um, uh, you know, just imagine 1922, 1924, he, uh, he's 18 years old, 17, 18, and has to play to, 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 to survive and help his sister, his mother. The, um, that's why also, by the way, and in parenthesis, um, he, uh, is, uh, he's going to be one of the major uh, film uh, 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 musicians, I mean, creation uh, of a numerable number of Russian films have been uh, held forward by the music of Shostakovich. It will help him also when he composes so-called formalist works later, and we promised ourselves not to talk about Stalin, but we cannot do anything else, <laughs> that, because the man is in the picture from the beginning to almost, uh, not really the, uh, the end, but, you know, he, Stalin dies in 1953. But Shostakovich, when some of his major works are rejected by uh, the official policies, uh, cultural policies, the socialist, realist um, imposition on music, um, well, then he is uh, he's saved of going to, uh, to being sent to Siberia because he's such so popular because of his film music. And not only that, film music, but also, also jazz. I mean, he, the, the, the so-called um, uh, uh, jazz, uh, jazz was part of, of the 1920s. And it was rather open 
and the time, also in culture in the Soviet Union at that time. Uh, it's only in the early 30s that that's, they will be clamping down. But in the 1920s, and so in the 1920s, he composes uh, so-called jazz, but it is a kind of... Uh, Official jazz and uh, and uh, it, it it doesn't have uh, it. It's afternoon. It's tea jazz. I call it, um, and and in fact I, I call it tea jazz uh, because the the. The uh, uh, one of the Russian orchestras, uh, j- uh, jazz orchestras, was called the T Jazz Orchestra. Uh, they were most probably frightened that uh, jazz at night was far too dangerous, far too subversive, and uh, so they, they 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 kind of purified it and simplified it. But anyhow, he, he composes two uh, two suites, uh, uh, jazz suites, and and he puts some of his music into his films, uh, the so-called jazz in the music. Anyhow. He has to earn his his life as a young man and uh, help his parents. He's not very healthy either, um, and um, and 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 so works a lot and gets this first symphony together at nineteen. The um, we are in nineteen twenty six, twelfth of May. It is conducted at the end of the season of the of the the orchestra and uh, in St. Petersburg, and he uh, and it is a huge success. He doesn't like it, company, because they didn't play it the way he wanted it to be played. It was far the tempi were too slow, etc., and they didn't really do what he wanted to do. He knows he knows what he wants. I mean, uh, he will say after that. Um, Oh, 32 minutes, that's the length of normally of that uh, symphony. They should have been playing it in 22 minutes, <laughs> which I think would be very difficult for any orchestra, anyhow. But it was his way of reacting. Um, Twelfth, it's such a success that the year afterwards, three of the greatest conductors in the world will be, will be conducting it. Bruno Walter, um, uh, the uh, Toscanini, it's not nothing. Stokowski, and uh, with with huge success in the world, the Soviets say to themselves, "Oh, there is this nice, quiet person. Uh, we will order him a second symphony and a third symphony. They're not as good because they are party pieces, <laughs> a party in the real sense of the term, <laughs> the, the Soviet party pieces, and they're not as good. But you know." Um, um, I sometimes with him I very often think of Shakespeare, and uh, it's it's as tragic as as Shakespearean uh, Shakespearean uh, situations. And in Othello, Othello at a given moment says, "Take note, take note, O world, to be honest and direct is not safe." Well, you know, uh, one uh, one had to one had to pay for the party, and so. But he believed in it. I will say, the first years, he really believed in it. Of course, in the 1930s, he will understand what is happening, and he will become he uh, in that society of informers and spies. He will become um, the uh, the moral conscience of the Soviet Union. But we promised ourselves not to talk about that. Let's get back to the first symphony. <laughs> Thank you. 
you talk about that, and I still uh, remember one of my colleagues saying, "Oh, Shostakovich, he 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 slept in a little ball by the door with a suitcase just in case the police came." Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's terrible. But you're right. Let let's go to the first. <laughs> most of, <laughs> most of Russians the Russians. <laughs> so the the beauty of this is that here's this young guy who's not very healthy, who's not very loud, he's not very brash, like the young Prokofiev that we've talked about. Yeah, absolutely you know? the contrary. And the Russian states say, ah, Prokofiev, now that's a good ambassador. He's handsome, he's mm -hmm. interesting, he's charming, he's... And here's Shostakovich, and the Russian state says, now there's a good ambassador. Uh, his music speaks for us, and it will speak with with the years. But he's he's quiet. Um, he's he's humble. But it will speak for the people. The, the thing uh, is that it it won't speak really for them. You know, if you want if you want to get back into that, his yes. fifteen symphonies are in fact the the picture. Of what the uh, of what the evolution is going to be of that uh, Soviet state, That's and true. and his relationship to that to that uh, Soviet state, and his fifteen string quartets will be his uh, his diary, his internal dis dis description of what he is at that very moment. These are two series of of masterworks, some of them better than others, but, you know, uh, this is an extraordinary element in the 20th century saying what a country and what uh, what people are going through. That's why I, call, I said that it was, um, he was the moral conscience of, of, the, of, of that country. Um, you know, he was, he was, personally haunted by death. He was a pessimist, but at the same time, he was the absolute witness for the suffering of the Russian people. So like Mussorgsky. Right, yeah. Like Mussorgsky. And in different situations, of course. So so you're, you're right to say, and then we drop the subject, but and you're right to say that it's like a narrative. All his symphonies sort of narrate the life. Yeah, yeah. And in a way, he had learned the system very well also. And mm -hmm. then we'll stop. I mean, but it's <laughs> so interesting because he disinformed everybody all the time. Even his entourage, he pretended working on a descriptive work like, I mean, The Quiet Dawn, when he was working, in fact, on the 14th and 15th symphonies and cycles of songs which were so important to him and which were saying everything we just said. <laughs> you know, which were saying what the society was about, what, 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 how, how his thinking process was evolving. What you notice right away when you listen to his first symphony is that it already, 19-year-old boy, he, it already sounds like Shostakovich. It's it is. crazy. It is there. He is absolutely there. And it, it is going to be such an important one in the history of his, uh, of his symphonies also. So that's what I always say, and I, I just r read that line by the French writer Ernest Renan, in this, and I quote, in the study of all human affairs, it is important to go back to the origins. And, you know, this is the origin of a, of a major uh, musician, a major witness, a major composer, and most probably the last of classical composers 
of uh, and in the 20th century, um, Dmitry Shostakovich. So he has his classical influences. Certainly, you know there is there is some of the the, the orchestration of Rimsky-Korsakov through his teacher, and there is some Scriabin in there, and uh, and some of the influences of of his friends, composers around him, uh, the, 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 these young Turks <laughs> at the uh, conservatory in Saint Petersburg. And uh, by the way, this first symphony will be dedicated to one of those, Michael Gvadri. And Michael Gvadri um, will be one of the, 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 the early victims of Stalin's great terror in 1933. He will be, um, he will be shot. 1933. Many of the people around him, the world he is living in, the theater world he is living in, uh, many of those uh, uh, people will disappear also in that very terrible period of Stalin's terror. So this being said, the first symphony is at a level of technical maturity, which, you know, not many composers have when they are 19. Uh, not even a Mozart. Mozart was very early, but, but you know, this te great technical m maturity. And it, 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 his symphony will be the quintessential event of the musical avant-garde in that period. And of course, and in the world, <laughs> and in the world. Furthermore, what you were saying, and you were so right, um, his signature is in it already. You know, he he like he the SCH. You know, the uh, in uh, in English and in German, it is, uh, the notes are letters. Well, he signs his um, signature tune within the symphony already, which he will do at very important places throughout his uh, his different works also. So not only does he sign his DSCH in the uh, in in the work which he will do at other very important um, moments but uh, for example the um, in the in the first movement well there are four movements to the to to the symphony two so-called light ones the two first ones and then uh, two other ones which are uh, much heavier uh, much heavier weightier in fact deeper and weightier and i'll come back to the two last ones so the two in the two first ones in the first one for example there is a, a, a rumbling of the of the uh, percussion well he will use that again uh, later on in the fifth and in the eighth symphony so there's, there are common features, common features that will be tried out, but already there in the first symphony and then come in later on in other symphonies. So there are bridges by him and in one way or another, they all have meaning.
So Jean-Jacques, uh, Shostakovich got a fantastic gift, which is that as a, a beginning composer at 19, he, he knows success right away. Uh, um, recognition, real success, national success, uh, success from the state, success uh, from real conductors, not just the school success. That's a huge gift. It goes beyond Malka. It, yeah. it, it goes to Toscanini. It goes to Klemperer. It goes to Bruno Walter. To all those specialists of the German, the German uh, repertoire. That's even. crazy, crazy success. Now, what? So, what makes it like I? I understand that his sound is his. You listen to that symphony, it's him, it's Shostakovich. But what makes it so important? Everybody knows right away mm -hmm. this is an important piece of music for us Russians, for the world of music. Well, I, I, I'm sure that the success uh, within Russia was for different reasons than uh, outside Russia. Let's talk about the musical part of yes. it. Well, we have talked already about political uh, importance. This is the new kind of work. It's, it's uh, a work they still can understand. There is great simplicity, so it's great for the proletariat, so people can understand it. But they really didn't understand it, in fact. Those that understood it were, you know, the, the musicians, the, uh, the, and, and the, at, at the international level. Of it. And, and what do they understand? They understand that here is somebody who has his signature already. And speaking about signature, he puts his signature within the work. D-S-C-H. D-S-C-H, the notes that go with D-S-C-H, will be found in many other works at very important moments within symphonies, string quartets, uh, 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 quintets, uh, chamber music, just name it. He will sign his works inside. He does it. Okay, you will say, this is anecdotal. This is somebody who likes to put his musical signature within the work, but it goes much further. There are four movements. Let's see, in the first movement, for example, uh, there are four movements, and I have to say, there are two lightweight movements. Uh, lightweight, believe me, lots of things are happening in these, but they're transparent. They're, they're uh, at, a, at a surface, simple. <laughs> But it is that kind of French transparency which was uh, a la mode in opposition to the big Germanic works of the end of the 19th century. Two first movements are transparent, the two last ones are deeper, weightier, and uh, will in fact um, say how much he likes the Germanic music. <laughs> but we'll come back to that. In the first movement, because what we're doing now is to, to show why this, this symphony is so important and why it is important to Shostakovich. In the first movement, there is the, the rumbling uh, of, the, of the percussion. That there is a, mo a, movement, a moment in there rumbling. Well, he will do the same thing in the fifth and the eighth symphony. You're, you're just reminding me of something. At 19, he writes, he orchestrates, but he'll only hear actually the sound of what he wrote played by this fantastic orchestra and so do you think that this choice like there's he's referring to himself in the uh, later on but he likes what he hears when he finally hears it too 
Absolutely. But you know that composers hear the music within their minds. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, the, the, it is the question people always ask me. You, have, you know, how did Beethoven know what he was composing? Is it because he had it in his mind? Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, so sorry. this is the answer sorry. to yes. your question. Uh, yeah, I've, uh, it's very then, interesting to me. Let's come back to another example. Yep. Uh, the, in the beginning of the third movement, the third movement, the slow movement, uh, there is a, 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 a wonderful oboe solo and uh, that uh, a, a first long monologue. And, and, and these are... The, uh, these will happen continuously throughout the symphonic works, those uh, woodwind uh, solo uh, moments in which the whole orchestra is silent and you hear this one instrument. Um, and this will happen essentially in the Seventh Symphony, in the Eighth Symphony, in the Ninth Symphony, he will do it also. So there are bridges there. There are bridges between that will come. Of course, he doesn't think of it at that moment, but there are important moments in that first symphony which are signals for the future um, other things other things um, uh, he will be um, uh, quoting the first symphony at the very uh, in, in in his most autobiographical uh, quartet which is the eight quartet um, I have told you or I've, I've mentioned this before his symphonies are in a way his way of um, relating to the Soviet society and um, his quartets all 15 of them are the uh, the, the quartets in uh, or are the pieces of music in which he's relating to himself and to the people around him <laughs> so in the, these are his autobiography <laughs> The other one is, in fact, the, bi the biography of the Soviet state. <laughs> so, in those works, the most autobiographical is the Eighth Quartet. It's a it's wonderful work, extraordinary, in-depth work. He plunges into the human soul, in his human soul, but because it's such a great work in every single human soul. And, um, well, he quotes directly the first symphony in it, with other important moments of his life. He will do it again in a veiled way in the very last work he composes. He's already very sick at that moment. It is his last work, a marvelous sonata for viola and piano. And he will quote it next to his all-time hero, uh, Beethoven, of whom he quotes the Moonlight Sonata in that last work. So. The first, the first symphony is important. The first symphony is there to say there is a large corpus, a large work of music coming. Now, within that symphony, because this is the second level, within that symphony, what does he do? He pokes fun of uh, Germanic music. Wagner and company, Wagner, Bruckner and company, um, in his first and his second movements. You know, he starts the symphony with a, with a trumpet and a woodwind dialogue. <laughs> Who starts a symphony like that? I mean, you know, you start the first symphony as a 19-year-old with a big... Oh, yeah. Full brass, <laughs> Full percussion, brass everybody. Full brass, percussion, sure. here I am. Absolutely, and yeah. He just 
walks into the symphony. Then he will develop all these things, obviously. And as soon in the first movement, as the orchestra gets a bit lyric, he falls back into his uh, jumpy way of uh, poking fun of that kind of music. But at the same time, this man, who is a very great Beethoven fan, who is a very closing character to Mussorgsky, who is the real descendant of Gustav Mahler. <laughs> this is Gustav Mahler um, uh, on, on the Russian plains. <laughs> you know, this, is, um, the, 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 this musician suddenly will say, yes, but the past is so important. And there is wonderful music composed in that 19th century. And amongst that wonderful music is Wagner. So in the third movement, he will quote Tristan and Isolde. And in the fourth movement, there is a wonderful part that is where he's quoting um, Brunhilde arising in the last movement of Siegfried. <laughs> and it's all part of the symphony. And in, a few minutes ago, you said, and it is, and it is Shostakovich. It is his signature. It is his music, and in there you suddenly are also in the world of Wagner and of the 19th century. So the past is also very present in us, certainly. This, this said, this is the, this is the big thing of, of this symphony. There is an ironic part to it, and then there is a, a much richer uh, melodic uh, part to it, um, painful already. Uh, tragedy is there already in the third movement. And then in the finale, of course, um, where, in which you have the grotesque and lyricism and they alternate and he plays around with all that, you know, uh, violence and, and, uh, and melody <laughs> fight each other. And uh, those two last movements are really absolutely remarkable. Now, you, you said the word grotesque, and you just reminded me of something I read very recently. Um, his composition teacher, he's the, the teacher, Monsieur uh, Steinberg, I think. Yes, yeah, eh? Steinberg, yes. Steinberg. Maximilian Steinberg. He says, uh, this piano trio that you wrote is grotesque. This uh, cello pieces are grotesque. And this scherzo you just wrote is grotesque. And so um, Shostakovich writes, maybe that's an, an, it's very anecdotal, you know, but he writes to his mother, well, then this symphony should be called the symphony grotesque. Yeah. Now, it's weird because if you read that and you listen to the symphony, I don't, I don't hear grotesque at all. No. Because you're listening with the, with the ears of somebody of the 21st century. Ah. Uh -huh. And uh, you're so, not listening with somebody who just comes out of the 19th century. Why, so what was know, grotesque? What does that word mean now for this guy? Uh, well, uh, to be laughed at. You know, that's to be laughed at. You're doing things that nobody else has been doing. You, you're taking this very strange stance. Uh, op, you know, this is not how music should be written, in their opinion. Of course, this was, we're still in Tchaikovsky's world. Listen, listen to Rachmaninoff. And, and when you listen to, to many works of Prokofiev, you know, there is this very lyrical element in it. With Shostakovich, 
it is much more an epic one and it's much more an internal one. It is like with Beethoven, an abstract world, a, a spiritual world. And all these oppositions of this young man who says to everybody, you know, I'm going to play, I, I'm going to compose music the way I am. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have my own style. And I'm taking distance of this world. Mind you, he tries to take distance in the first symphony and he falls back and says goodbye to Wagner in it. But this is okay. This is okay. This is part of it. It shows an extraordinary richness of composition. And it shows that one of the greatest, if not the greatest composer of the 20th century is born. Yeah. And he has already such restraint, eh? Mm -hmm. Like you were describing the, the oboe solo. Well, if you have something hard to say, if you have something deep, profound to say, I would be tempted if I had an orchestra at my disposal to, or to make something big, something that grabs the listener like that with two hands. And, and yet Shostakovich, he just gets quieter. And that's what you hear. You really hear what he has to say. Absolutely, absolutely. He goes, he goes inside, you know, he said he goes to what is important to him. You know, St. Augustine said, man is a great deep lord. <laughs> well, uh, Shostakovich was a great deep. And when you can, and when you listen really to the works of Shostakovich, you are being pulled into that great deep. You know, he himself said it. You have to have ears to hear, he said, and listen to my works. And then you'll know. And uh, so, uh, you know, his symphonies, perhaps not totally the first symphony, but his symphonies will be the, the secret history of Russia. Mm. You know? But again, again, like Gustav Mahler, and I want to come back for a second or two to Gustav Mahler, which is also an immense depth. Uh, like Mahler, he is an uprooted human being within an empire. <laughs> and like Mahler, you will find later also in his symphonies, but already in this first symphony very much, those pulsions, those hesitations. But these are not hesitations because he doesn't know what to do. Uh, hesitations are part of human life, <laughs> of what being human is about. Um, and uh, he has this provocative clumsiness, <laughs> which Mahler had also, you know. And uh, it, he, it, it, we think it's unskillfulness, it's absolute skillfulness, you know. <laughs> but it, 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 it is not. He, There are parts that are enigmatic that you say to yourself, where is he going now? But it helps you to listen, of course, if you, if you, if you hang in. So he has, and in fact, like Mahler also, and I, you know, he has this kind of pessimistic idealism. And this says very much about Shostakovich. You know, he... He was idealistic. He, he loved the revolution at that time. 
But then when he understood what that revolution was about and when the Stalinist era came and clamped down on all kinds of expression and, and communication between people and, and made this a, a, a society of lies, <laughs> he was, he, he, of course, he, he expressed it, he said it, but he had to disinform everybody. <laughs> it was the only way to survive. He did, though I still think, Poor Shostakovich. Uh, however, um, there's laughter in there. And there, there is lots of irony in there. And irony. And, and uh, a laughter, it's, it's not Rossini. No. Mind you, he loved Rossini. Really? Yes, he loved Rossini because he will quote him in his 15th symphony, last symphony. And who does he quote in the 15th symphony also? Wagner. So the circle is closed. First Symphony Wagner, last Symphony Wagner. But what does he quote in the 15th Symphony by Wagner? He quotes excerpts of the uh, Ring of the Nibelungen and the fate motif. Love motifs in the first symphony, fate motif in the last symphony. Fabulous. Jean-Jacques, you're amazing. I have to digest that. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to talking with you again. We'll talk soon. <laughs>